What is the most beautiful word in the English language? Not a rhetorical question. Give me some feedback. What is the most beautiful word in the English language? Love. Home, I heard. What else? Thank you. Someone said World Series. <laughs> what else? What's the most beautiful word in the English language? Peace. Faith. Jesus, forgiveness, grace, help, joy, unity. Someone after the first service, someone I haven't heard yet in either service, but I thought it was a good one, they come up to me and said, Mom. That's a, that's a good one. Someone has said that the most beautiful word in the English language is your own name that there is no more beautiful word to your ears than when someone says, Joe, Sylvia, Michelle, Sherry, Wendy, Brian, that when someone says your name, there is no more beautiful word in the English language. There's something about hearing our name. There is something about the idea that we are known that somebody knows us, that we're on somebody's mind, that somebody's thinking about us, that there's something that that captures and grabs our attention. There's something inside of us that wants to be known. You might be a huge introvert, as I am, and you may not like being known, but something within you, when you go into a room and it's full of people and somebody says your name, you're like, hey, they know me. I mean, there's different aspects of this being known, right? I think of it um, with Wendy and I. We're very different when we go to like large events where there's large crowds. And we were at one this past week. We were at a conference with 13,000 people at a leaders conference. And, and we were there. And when we go to large events, Wendy and I approach it very differently. Uh, she has the goal, whenever she goes to a large event, it's very particular, it's very specific, and she's, she's very emphatic about it, but her goal is to get up on the jumbotron at some point during the event. <laughs> My goal is to stay off of the jumbotron at all costs during the event. So, one, so this past week, we come back after lunch, and we go into the, the, the arena, and Wendy sees these people with cameras. She's like, hey, those are the people filming for the jumbotron. And I'm like, thanks for telling me I'm going the other way. She proceeds to run after them, follow them around until they will film her. And later on that day, you do see Wendy up on the jumbotron up there. And she has fulfilled her mission for the day. And that's what she does. It's happened to Toronto on the Sky Dome. She gets on there. It's happened in various college basketball games. Her goal is to get on that screen. And, and uh, my goal is to stay off it. Uh, and that is different aspects, but we all like being known. Even if you're an introvert, even if you're like me and you go to an event and you're just like, I just want to go, I just want to sit, I want to listen, I want to, you know, do my thing and leave. Um, but we all like, to some extent, being known. There's something within us that wants people to know us and we want to be known and we want to know them. Being known and knowing others is the beginning of relationship. Right, you can't have relationship without knowing and being known. Some people think you can. You know, you hear people say, oh, I love that celebrity. But you don't really love that celebrity, right? Because 
I mean, they don't know you. You don't know them. You're not really in relationship with them. I mean, it really can't happen because you don't know them. And they don't know you. The beginning of relationship, it starts with knowing someone. And it starts with being known by someone. We're coming to the end of the book of Ephesians. Today is our last message uh, in this series from the book of Ephesians, this letter to the church at Ephesus. We started it the week after Easter, if you remember. We've been walking through it this entire year. And as we come to the end of the book... It's real interesting because Paul has talked a lot about the right way to believe and what we're to believe about Jesus and about our call and, and about all of that. And he's talked a lot about the right way to act and live and how we're to live in light of our calling. And then he comes to these last three verses that we're going to look at today and he gets to relationship. He gets to knowing. He reminds us that this is not a letter to some strangers. This is not just a doctrinal statement that he's just putting out there, but it is a personal correspondence to people he knows and people that know him. It's doctrine and truth in light of relationship. And as a church, we're called to, yes, believe right, and yes, live right, but we're called to do this all in the context of relationship. When we come here on a Sunday morning, I hope and I pray that you come, not like you go to the mall or to the movies, where you come and you go to those places to observe, not to participate, to just consume, not to participate. See, that's not what a church is. That's, if you come here just to hear a nice talk and to hear some great music, then you're coming to a conference, not a church. There's a difference. This week, I went to a conference. I didn't go to a church. Is it, there's a difference. I hope there's a difference for you. There's a difference between watching a, a, a preacher on TV and coming to a church. You can watch someone give a great message. You can learn how to believe right. You can learn how to live right. But you haven't been to church because church involves living and being in relationship with the people of God. And to do that, you have to know them. You have to be known. It starts with that. All throughout the New Testament, we're, we're called to this living in relationship with one another. Various scriptures talk about how we're to live with one another. Let me give you some of the ones in Ephesians and then some of the others throughout the New Testament. And just read the bold words with me when we get to it to emphasize uh, the critical importance of this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Speak to with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Submit to out of reverence for Christ. These are just the four references in Ephesians. Other places in the New Testament mentions it. Be devoted to in brotherly love, I forgot to bold this one, honor above yourselves. Therefore, encourage and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve in love. 
And this one another throughout the New Testament is very particular. It's not just everyone around you. It's really talking about one another in the church of Jesus Christ. That you're to serve, love, be devoted, encourage, submit to one another. Well, how do you do that if you don't know one another? How do you submit to someone, serve someone, be devoted to someone, encourage someone if we never know one another? So the very basis of these statements, the first part really has to do with we have to learn to know one another so that you and I would not come into this place on a Sunday, just consume a message, consume some music, go home and talk about how I'm going to think about living this out in my personal little walk with God instead of thinking about how do we as a church learn to love and live in the context of relationships with one another and live out this thing that God has called us to. It's to be lived out in the context of one another. And it starts with knowing. It starts with knowing that you and I would know each other. You can't know everybody, but you got to know somebody. You can't be known by everybody, and it's not important that you are. But you got to be known by somebody if we're going to walk in relationship. And perhaps that second part's the hardest part, right? A lot of us might say, oh, yeah, I'll get to know somebody. But to open up, be vulnerable, and be known by somebody can kind of be the harder part. But we will never be in relationship, and you will never experience genuine love, and I will never experience genuine love until we know and are known by someone else. You know that in the context, those of you who are married, you know that in the context of marriage, right? You're never going to experience the true love of your spouse until you know them and you are known by them. It's the same in all your relationships. You're not going to experience true love in the church of Jesus Christ until you know and are known. So what does it mean to know somebody? Well, that brings us to our text this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 to 24 just these four short verses, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 to 24, Paul ends the letter to the church at Ephesus with these words. It says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the last few words of the letter, and I want to focus in just really on verses 21 and 22, where he says, he's writing this letter and he's concluding it, and he wrote all this beautiful uh, doctrine of how we're supposed to believe, wrote all this beautiful uh, commands and stuff on how we're supposed to live when we follow Christ. But then he closes it and he says, I'm sending Tychicus, not as a postman, just to drop it off and run back. I'm sending him as a messenger to tell you so you may know how I am and what I am doing. So you may know, because we're in relationship. We're in this together. It's not just about believing the right thing and doing the right thing. Because we can kind of get in that that mindset in Christianity, right? That it's about what I believe. And it's about, you know, following these rules. But Paul reminds us it's about living all this out in the context of relationship. 
And so he says, I want you to know what I'm doing, and I want you to know how I am. And these are the two components to knowing. If you want to know someone, you got to know what they're doing and how they're doing. Two components to knowing. Know what they're doing and know how they're doing. We use these questions all the time, right? When you're starting a conversation with someone, what do you say? Hey, what's going on? Hey, what's up? What are you doing? What are you up to? Or... How are you? How are you doing? How are things going? We use these two questions all the time. It's how we get to know people. We want to know what's going on in their life, and we want to know how they're doing. And these are the two components to knowing people. And they're the two things that we will need to know each other in the body of Christ. Let me just take them for a moment on each of them. Knowing the what. Here's why it's important to know the what. It's important to know what's going on in a person's life because that will help us minister to the tangible needs in their life. When you know what's going on in someone's life, you then have the ability to minister and to touch and to reach and to uh, touch them on that tangible level. If you know that someone is going through a loss of a loved one, and you may not know exactly what they're feeling, but you've probably lost someone you love. And you could think, hey, I know, I, I know what's going on, and, and I can minister to you. But if we never share that with one another, and we just try and walk through our personal pain alone, then we'll never be able to touch and help and walk with one another and love one another as the Bible tells us to, right? I mean, losing a loved one, that's one we sometimes, you know, we understand that, right? We go, we go to the funerals, we go to the, uh, the viewing, we, we express our condolences because we all know what that's like. So once we all know about it, we're like, oh man, I got to show up because, man, they, they're, they're in pain and I want to minister to them, right? But what about all the stuff that we never learn about that you and I might be walking through the what, lost your job this week. You got a diagnosis you didn't expect. Or your kid's struggling. Or your marriage is struggling. All that what that sometimes we're afraid to put out there and let someone know. But if no one ever knows, how will we ever serve, encourage, be devoted, submit to one another in love? If no one ever knows, how can we ever walk around and say, well, nobody cares about me. Because if we don't know, how do we care? And if we don't take the time to get to know people, how are we really going to care for them? So you have to know the what. You know, taking the time to, it's not just, hey, what's up? Now, what's really going on in your life? And there's an exchange of stories, right? What's really going on in my life? What, what's really happening in, in my heart? And you don't always have the answers. I don't always have the answers. You know, sometimes I'll have someone come up to me and they'll say, oh, I'm really struggling with an addiction or something in my life. And I'm like, man, I don't know what it's like to go through and have to wrestle with an addiction and all you're dealing with. But, but I know someone in the church who walked through that and got victory through that. And let me just maybe connect you with them. Because I don't know all what that's like, but if that's what you're going through, maybe I can help. Or maybe, you know, you got a diagnosis this week and you're like, oh, I didn't expect this. This is not what, you know, this is not the road I expected to travel. All this stuff going on. You're getting all this advice and medical. And I, and I would say, I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to get that diagnosis and to go through those appointments and to go through those tests. But there's someone in the church and let me connect you with them because they've walked that road and, and maybe they can help you. See, once we know the what, 
we, we can kind of learn how to help each other a little bit better, right? But it's this knowing and being known. And, and, and I suppose something particular to our context, right? Those of you that are from New England and you're here or those of you that have become New Englanders just by being here event, long enough and, and we're, we're like private people, and I don't know where that, you know, we don't like to share our stuff, and we're just kind of like, I'll do my thing, and you do your thing, and, you know, don't let your stuff get over into my stuff, and, and, and we'll just keep going and pretend everyone's okay. I mean, that, that's not really what the Bible calls us to. And we don't live it out perfectly, because I know there's some people sitting here right now, and like, man, I put my stuff out there, and, and someone just stomped all over it or they didn't even they didn't even you know respect what I was putting out there they wouldn't even listen to me no one's we're not perfect but we we need to learn to walk this road and learn to love one another and maybe you've taken a risk and you've shared something with someone and it didn't go well and that happens sometimes we're an imperfect people trying to follow the perfect God but we need just to learn how to do that better and and learn to love each other and care for one another because you gotta, that's what God has called us to and we're not gonna be able to do it unless we know what's going on in each other's lives. I mean, you're not gonna share everything with everyone, right? But I hope you're sharing it with someone. I hope you're sharing it with someone in the body of Christ, someone who loves you and loves God, who will point you to Jesus, who will bolster your faith, who will pray for you, who will love you, who will, you know, respect your confidence and we're not going to do it with everyone, but I hope you got someone so that we can love one another. What are you doing? The second thing that Paul says, I want you to know how I'm doing. The how allows you to minister to someone's intangible spiritual needs. The what is the tangible need. The how is the intangible spiritual soul need. Let me give you an example of how that can be different, right? So say somebody's in the hospital. And I go and visit people in the hospital, our staff, our pastors go visit people in the hospital. But when you go on a hospital visit, it's hard to know what it's going to be like because each one's a little different than the other one. The what, the circumstances might be exactly the same. Maybe the diagnosis, maybe everything's the same. But if you walk into one visit and the person's like, man, this hit me like a truck. I didn't see this coming. My, my bearings are just totally thrown. I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know why this happened to me. What's going on? You know, and, and you walk into that visit and there's, that's how they're doing. There's one particular way to minister in that context. But then you walk into the, maybe a room just next door and the person's like, I am ready to meet Jesus. And this is of God and I'm ready to go and take me home, Lord. That's a total different visit, right? Circumstances are the same. The what's the same, but that's a total different visit. Or you walk into someone and you're like, man, I just doubt God doesn't know me. God forgot about me. This isn't fair. I didn't sign up for this. I've been doing everything for God, and then I get hit with this, and this isn't fair. Or you walk into a room and someone's like, they don't even know Christ, but all of a sudden they're like, you know, the things of eternity and their mortality has suddenly just kind of set in, and they have questions. Those are, those are four completely different visits. The what's the same, but the how, the how I'm doing is completely different. And so when you get to know people, it's not just what is going on in their life, but how are they doing in the midst of what's going on in their life? And when you go to those places, you say, okay, now I, now I, now I know how to minister to their intangible soul needs. 
right? You can have some people that uh, say it's a, a military deployment and their spouse is getting deployed. Some people will be like, oh man, I don't even know the first thing of what to do. Other people will be like, we've been through this before. I've got it down. You know, I know what to do. It's different. The what's the same, the how's different. I think people going through things with their kids or their, their, their spouse. It's not just what's going on. But how are you doing in the midst of what's going on? So Paul was in prison. He's in prison in Rome. And these people in Ephesus had heard about it. I mean, if they were like me, I, I would be like, I mean, I didn't know Paul, so maybe I'm way off on this. But I'd be like, oh, man, Paul's in prison. That stinks. He must be miserable. I mean, I've seen Roman prisons, and they don't treat you good, and, and he's probably miserable, and maybe Paul's losing faith, and maybe Paul's doubting, and maybe Paul, you know, oh, poor Paul. But when Tychicus comes, he says, no, no, no. Let me tell you about Paul. Paul's been preaching to the whole Praetorian Guard, and he's telling everyone about Jesus, and his faith hasn't faltered, and he's bold, and God has opened doors for him to preach the gospel in Rome even while he's in chains. That's a different how, right? Now let's pray for Paul's boldness. What can we do to help Paul in his work? So knowing people means knowing what's going on in their life, but then not just assuming how they're going through it, getting to know how are they dealing with what they're going through. Because you can be going through the absolute worst circumstances and your faith in God may be bolstered and not, and, and not shaken at all. And so you just want to stand with someone and say, amen, yeah, let's go. But they may be walking through something and maybe it just rocked their world. Maybe it's something small and you don't even see it as big, but maybe it just completely rocked their world. And you might be like, man, that's not that big a deal. But how are they doing in the midst of what's going on? And so you minister to them. So we need to know each other. We need to know what's going on. We need to know how they're doing. But then what do you do when you gain knowledge? What do you do with what you know? Because if you don't do anything with it, I suppose at the very least it's gossip. If you don't do anything with it, it really comes close to sin. Especially if you don't do anything with it and you can do something about it. James puts it this way. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. If you know about the need, and you know what's going on, you know how they're doing, but you don't do anything about it, what good is that? And he goes a step further in chapter 4, verse 17. He says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it since. One of the clearest definitions of sin in the Bible this isn't a sin of commission. It's a sin of omission, right? Something good you could have done. You should have done. You were able to do. And you don't do it. James says, well, that's, that's sin. And this doesn't mean you can do everything. I want to be careful about that. That's not what, that's not what it's saying. But it's saying there are some things you can do. There are some things you can do. There are some things I can do. And when we have the opportunity to do them, we should do them. 
especially for those within the body of Christ, this love one another. You can't do everything, but we can do something for someone. Uh, Pastor Andy Stanley, in talking about ministering to people and the, uh, the abundance of need that can be present, and is often present in the church, right? We're in a place where, you know, like any other place, there's a lot of needs, and he talks about this abundance of need, and, and, he, and he says this statement that's, uh, that just kind of frames it from both extremes, the extremes that we sometimes find ourselves on. He says, one extreme is, he says, you cannot take it all on. You can't take it all on. You can't do everything. You're going to hear a lot about a lot of needs, but you can't do everything. You have finite resources, finite time, finite. You can't do everything. But then on the other side, he says, but you can't shut it all out. You can't do nothing. You can't do nothing. You can't take it all on, but you can't shut it all out. When it comes to need in the church, you can't do everything, but you can't do nothing. And so we learn to know each other. We learn to love each other. We learn to care for each other. We have to ask, well, what can I do with what I know? What can I do with what I know? We can't all do the same thing. And someone in here maybe, well, man, I, I don't say I, I don't have a lot of time, but I got, you know, make good living and I get some extra money and if there's people that you know can be ministered to with some extra money I can give some extra money someone else might say well I don't have a lot of extra money I don't make a lot of money but I got time and, and I can give some time and I, I've you know I, I can help when someone needs some help and I can give some time and someone else might say well I don't have time or money but you know we got an extra room in the house and maybe someone needs an extra room and needs a place to stay or, or maybe we'll take in a foster child or maybe we're going to adopt someone we're going we're gonna, to we get some extra room we're going we're gonna to kind of help that way and I'll say, you know, while I'm on that one, just mentioning that one, I'll say that's one that comes up, you know, in the church quite a bit. If you're some, I'll make a plea right now. If you're someone that has extra space in your house, we get requests from time to time of people that are like, I just need a place to stay for a day or a week or, or a short amount of time. You know, that's one that we don't always think about. We're like, I don't have anything I can do. But sometimes you get, we got resources we don't even know about. Or maybe you say, well, I got some skills that, you know, if they can benefit someone, I can fix cars or I can fix meals. You know, we, we benefit. We, we, we bless one another. We care for one another. But if we don't know the what and the how people are doing, we're never able to do that. You know, one person uh, this morning that comes to mind, Denise McClellan. Denise is starting a new ministry called His Ministry. Uh, Hope in Service. His Ministry. Hope in Service. And some of you have already uh, signed on to be a part of that. But, but Denise, you know, came along and here's how it, the genesis of the ministry kind of came about within the last year. And Denise uh, gave me permission to share this this morning. Her husband, Robert, passed away. And uh, when he did, I mean, you know, we tried to, you know, care and love and show love uh, to Denise and the family. But, and Denise was very appreciative of that. But after that, you know, she said, you know, as a church... I think we can do better. I think we can do better in helping care for people and love people. And so she made an appointment with Pastor Brian and I. And, and, and whenever there's an appointment like that, Pastor Brian and I, I think we always kind of uh, brace ourselves for, okay, what's coming on the plate next? All right, we're, we're doing okay, but 
got to change something, do something more, add something on, do something. And you just brace yourself because any of those of you that are in leadership or places, you know, that just happens sometimes. That's just the, the case. And, and Denise came in and she said, you know, I think we can do better. I want us to be, care for people better. I want us to walk with people more. And then she said, but I don't want you guys to take it on. She said, I want to start a ministry to help the church care for it people in the church. And we want to care for those who are going through bereavement. We want to care for our elderly better. We want to care for those in the hospital better. We just want to care for each other better. And so we start this ministry called His Ministry. And Denise has got a team working with her. And, and if that's something you, you know, that excites you and you want to help, you can talk to Denise and, and, uh, and let her know that you'd like to, to help with that. But it's just an example of saying, you know, we're the church we ought to be loving one another. And if there are places we can do better, then let's do better. Let's do better in, in caring for each other when we're hurting. Let's do better of helping each other when, when we're going through difficult times. Let's do better of walking with each other. And I know right now there's a lot of needs in a room like this. And even to make a statement like that, it's like uh, there's this part of me that says, oh, man, now we're putting the pressure on to actually do better. But it's not on me. It's not on the pastor's. It's us as a church. We're going to be the church of Jesus Christ. We've got to love one another. If we're going to love one another, we've got to know one another. And knowing one another means knowing what's going on in someone's life and knowing how they are doing in the midst of what's going on. It's knowing each other. One of the statements that uh, one of the speakers from this last... uh, week said Reggie McNeil he was talking about legacy and he said the only people who will remember you as he was talking about this fact that we get so caught up in how many friends are on Facebook or how many followers are on Twitter or creating this legacy that's going to outlive us for for years and for generations And, and, and so he said the only people who will remember you are the people who know you now it's not going to be your grandkids, grandkids. It's not going to be that three or four generations. They, how, how many of you know your great, great, great grandfather? Nobody. The only people who are going to remember you are the people who know you now. So take the time to love the people, get to know the people who know you now. Not the people you wish you knew. Not the people that you wish knew you but the people you and I know now. Take the time to love and not miss the opportunity to get to know and to love the people around us. Because relationship starts with knowing, right? Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this. He said it in John chapter 14. He said, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time. Jesus is saying, in other words, the way you know the father is by knowing Jesus, getting to know who he is, what he's doing. The way you will know God is by knowing Jesus. And let me let you into something. The way some people are going to know Jesus is by getting to know you, getting to know people who love Jesus, and getting to know how people who love Jesus love each other. 
And that's how they'll come to know what Jesus is like. Jesus said, they'll know you by the way you love one another. They'll know you're my followers by the way you love one another. Just before we go to communion, let me read one more scripture to you. Just to remind you, just to bring home this, the context of relationship that this is written in. I don't have this on the screen, but in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 32, it's the send-off of Paul from the city of Ephesus. And he's leaving them. He's been with them for two years. And he says, I got to go to Jerusalem. And when I go there, they're probably going to arrest me, but I got to go. And they've been with, Paul's been with this church for two years. And this is the church he's writing the letter to, right? This is what Ephesians is written to. And he's leaving these leaders who he's been with, he's loved. They've been with him. This isn't just doctrine. This is relationship. And he says this. He says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. This isn't just some random letter that he's writing. He's writing to people in the church who he's lived and walked in relationship with. And so they're on the beach, and the boat's ready to leave, and Paul's ready to get on, and they pray, and they weep, and they hug, because they don't just all believe the same thing. They don't just all act the same way. They love each other. And they love this man, Paul, who's leaving. And so when people look at the church of Jesus Christ and when they look at Mount Hope, they ought not say just, well, yeah, this is what they believe. And this is how they behave. But they ought to see that we are marked by love for one another, knowing one another, and walking in love for each other. Because when they see that, they'll begin to see a picture of Jesus and the God who loves them. I'm going to ask those who are going to help me to serve communion to come, and we're going to pray. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this. Lord, thank you for this beautiful book of the Bible, this letter that's been given to us as a gift. God, for all that we've learned through the last year of how much you love us and care for us, about the incredible call we have in you, for all that we've learned about how to live out our faith in the context of of our marriages, our kids, our work, and, and, and the world that we live in, the culture that we live in, how to speak, how, how to talk to one another, all of that, Lord, I'm grateful for that. But Lord, I'm also grateful this morning as we come to you to remember that these words are given to the church not to an individual. They were given to be read to the church at Ephesus, the church living and loving each other in relationship. And Lord, we are the church, not at Ephesus, but 2,000 years later, we are the church at Mount Hope in Burlington. And these words are given to us, not so that we may live them out individually alone, but so that we may walk in community, loving and learning and, and following you together. 
Lord, so I pray that you'd help us to do that. Lord, I ask that you'd help us to be counterculture in this because our culture just wants to go in and consume a talk and live their own life. Would you help us at Mount Hope to be countercultural, to go in and love one another, be a part of a body, be a part of a church. Help us to know and be known, Lord. Father, I ask that you would help us to become not an organization, but a church. A church that loves you and a church that loves each other. As we gather around this communion table, Lord, I'm reminded that you died and you gave your life to build a church, a church that the gates of hell would not prevail against. Lord, may we be that church, the church that you prayed for, the church that you desire us to be, Lord. In Jesus' name.